Welcome to Nationwide Market Insights for May 3rd, 2023. Could today's rate hike be the final increase of the year? The FOMC finished their scheduled meeting for May today, announcing a 25 basis point increase in the federal funds rate in its continued effort to slow down inflation. How effective has this tightening cycle been on controlling inflation? In what ways has the overall economy been impacted? When could the Fed decide to lower rates again? This is Brian Kirk, and with me today to answer these questions and provide their analysis of today's Fed announcement is Nationwide's Chief Economist, Kathy Bostancic, and Senior Economist, Ben Ayers. Kathy, let's turn to you first. You got to listen to the full press conference today of the uh, Fed funds rate increase, the 10th in a row. Kathy, is this what you expected to hear today? Well, thanks, Brian. Yeah, it was widely anticipated that uh, the Federal Reserve would raise the Fed funds target range by 25 basis points. Um, But the real question was what type of signaling would they give us about the rest of the year? And was there likely to be particularly going to be a pause in, in, in the near term. So we did not get updated forecasts by the Federal Reserve at this meeting. Um, so really, uh, we had to, to lean on any of the insights that we would have on that by parsing the language in the FOC policy statement, which becomes an art, and then also very closely listening to Chairman Powell's comments in the post-press conference. So in the policy statement, the revision particularly to the forward guidance that came in line with our expectations in that they softly adjust the forward guidance. Previously, the guidance sort of implicitly promised that there was going to be further rate hikes forthcoming. And and that was adjusted to suggest that that's no longer the case, but they didn't explicitly come out and indicate that they're going on pause for any period of time. Instead, they gave themselves optionality or flexibility that in case inflation remains higher than expected or the labor market remains stronger and wage growth remains elevated, that they have the flexibility to raise rates again, possibly. They also, by not explicitly saying we're going to go on hold for some period of time, it helps to rein in the bond market's reaction, meaning that going into this, the bond market was already pricing in rate cuts for the second half of the year. And we believe that the Fed officials did not want to add further fuel to that. And by having more of a softening of the forward guidance, that keeps the the bond market vigilantes honest. And it would be consistent with their messaging also that they think whatever rate they end at, and and we, and I should add that we do think that they're done raising rates. This is the the peak of the the tightening cycle, but they're not going to be cutting rates anytime soon. And that was really a message they wanted to make clear through the policy statement, but also Chairman Powell said that very clearly, that this change they're signaling does not at all mean that they're going to be cutting rates he was very clear in saying that he believed that inflation was going to remain too high to really allow the Fed to, to cut rates. And that's even if they have 
uh, a mild recession as their own Fed staffers are are forecasting. So what this does is really put any possible further tightening of rates based it's going to be based very much on incoming data so becoming even more data dependent and they're going to go month to month in and meeting to meeting and assess whether interest rates are appropriately calibrated to eventually get inflation back to its 2% target well thank you Kathy let's turn to Ben now for some analysis Ben, the the tightening cycle we're in now started 14 months ago. We forecast that the Fed funds rate will remain high into 2024, which would make this tightening cycle about average in length, but relatively severe in terms of cumulative rate increases. So, Ben, we know that borrowing money is much more painful now than it was a year ago. What are the potential risks to consumers and businesses for having rates stay high for so long? You know, you're right, Brian. You know, the lending environment has changed pretty dramatically over the past year, and much of that has been response to what we've seen with this sharp Fed tightening, with the the Fed bougieing rates from a very accommodative stance a year ago, through neutral to you know at the standpoint at the end of the year and coming into 2023, very much a restrictive policy stance. You know, go back to a little over a year ago. Uh, the average 30-year fixed-rate mortgage or your average 48-month car loan was about 3 to 4%. And now those rates are above 6% for mortgage rates and even up to around 7% for most car loan rates. That's a pretty sharp increase in borrowing costs for consumers over a relatively short period of time, and especially when you factor in how much household budgets are being squeezed by rapid inflationary pressure across many other key aspects of the economy that we've seen in recent years. And so it's not surprising that we're starting to see some cutbacks. Many people are saying, maybe I'm not going to buy a home, maybe I'm not going to buy a car because the cost has just gotten too prohibitive. Uh, In many cases, businesses are feeling many of the same pressures that consumers are. Costs are up for most businesses, both for the inputs for their their operations and also for labor. Now you have to pay a lot more to take out a business loan. We have to factor in the banking stresses that have become emergent over the past couple months as well. We are seeing that more banks are tightening their lending standards and raising rates to make their balance sheets look better and prevent a run on the bank that we've seen for a couple of the banks here recently. And that, again, just makes worse credit availability for businesses and higher costs for running your business. Uh, And so it's no wonder that we're seeing more households are hitting the pause button on buying a big purchase and more firms are cutting back on investment plans to help keep the cost down and potentially prepare for worse economic times or potentially a recession down the road. And so if we see these high rates remain higher for an extended period of time, that just means further reduction spending and further reductions in investment by consumers and businesses. And it just kind of adds for us to the fears that the economy will dip into a recession later this year because most of economic growth is tied to consumers and businesses. And if those two parts of the economy are really starting to slow down and ratchet back on, on activity, that's going to add up to a recession when you look broadly across the U.S. economy. Uh, so the longer we see these higher borrowing costs remain at this elevated level, the more pain there's going to be, particularly if this does extend into 2024. And that could mean a delayed eventual recovery should we actually see a recession in the second half of this year. So when you think about our forecast, that means likely a weaker start to 2024, 
and likely more sluggish recovery projected, maybe not seeing much of recovery until the second half of next year, or maybe even to 2025, based upon how long we see the, the Fed keep these rates at restrictive levels, and again, how much that cuts back on overall activity across the economy. I do want to make one last point here, and that's that we've been here before on interest rates, so we're not in unprecedented territory, certainly. You know, just looking at mortgage rates as an example, over much of the 2000s, we were in the 5 to 6% range, so maybe a little bit lower than where we are now, but not meaningfully lower. And if you go back to the 1990s decade, mortgage rates at that point were in the 7 to 9% range for much of that period. So, you know, we are coming off of a, a period of very low rates, and we got accustomed to that. And so with the sharp increase in borrowing costs we've seen over the past year, it's understandable that's very jolting for folks. Um, but we've seen these rates before, and really within recent memory. And so it's not something we've seen before. People adjust. They, they adjust their expectations. They adjust their spending patterns and expect that to happen this time around as well. And moreover, we're likely to see these rates come down from these peaks as we look forward. While we're still a good ways off, we think from the Fed easing, you know, eventually they will start to pull back on rates and they will help to bring those rates down from the current highs we're at now. Maybe not as sharply as they went up and maybe not down to the lower levels that we've seen in recent years, but certainly we should see some relief on the rate front as we go into maybe middle part of next year, but particularly as we go to the later stages of 2024 and into 2025. Now, thank you, Ben. That's really a good perspective to have about the rates and at the end of the week, we're going to see monthly employment report. It's going to show us the number of jobs that are added or lost over April. And employment's remained strong since the end of the pandemic. But weekly unemployment claims are starting to show signs of weaker demand for labor. And this is important because we've mentioned before that employment is one of the last shoes to drop in terms of signs of economic downturn. Kathy, what will you be watching for when the employment report comes out on Friday. And did the Fed get an advanced preview of that employment report? <laughs> All good questions. Well, first let me comment on uh, what you were saying, that the, the difference between initial jobless claims and, and non-farm payroll report, which we'll get Friday. Initial jobless claims are a leading economic indicator. They are released weekly, so they don't tend to generate the same type of excitement as the non-farm payroll data, but they tend to lead. And, and that's a really important point. And they have started to edge higher. Now, the absolute level around 240,000 of jobless claims or so is still relatively low, but we've moved up uh, from a run rate of about 200,000. So that type of increase, if it continues, suggests that we are seeing some loosening in, in the labor market and some cracks that are forming. Now, all eyes, though, still will be on payrolls, even though they're more a current measure of, of labor market conditions. But there we, we do expect some further step down in the creation of, of new jobs. We we're looking for 190,000. That's slightly higher than the consensus view. And, and in March, it was 236,000. Um, so that continued step down monthly, showing that higher rates that you know Ben outlined, pinching aggregate demand and activity consumer spending, and that feeding back to employers who become more cautious. One, because they see current activity slowing, 
also because their new orders book, particularly in the manufacturing sector, has um, declined for at least five, six months straight now. That's something that we haven't seen really outside of, of recessions. If we look at the uh, average hourly earnings number, because that's going to be the other key uh, reading to, to watch, uh, wage growth is still running. It, we're expecting it to be at three tenths. It would still be running a, a bit above four percent. Now that is a slowdown from the five or six percent we saw post COVID, but that's still well above three percent pace that we saw pre COVID. Uh, and and Chairman Powell spoke about this today. Last week we got the employment cost data, which arguably is a better measure, actually, of of wage growth, um, because it's not affected by shifts in employment composition, meaning on Friday, most likely we're going to see another big increase in jobs in the leisure and hospitality sector. Wage growth is, is rising there, but overall, wage levels there are lower than in other sectors, uh, such as construction or manufacturing or other service jobs. So that could actually weigh down if you're hiring more lower paid workers, it weighs down on the overall average hourly earnings number, where the employment cost index keeps equal weights for employment shares. So there, the core wage reading, private wage and salary growth was up 5.1%. Pre-COVID, that was 3.3%. And what Chairman Powell was talking about today was that, you know, ideally you want to see wage growth that's around uh, the pace of, of productivity growth plus inflation. So that's roughly at most three and a half. So somewhere between three, three and a half. Now that's also ties into another data point that's out this week, Tomorrow, actually, we'll get the non-farm productivity and unit labor cost report. We need to watch that closely as well. It, again, doesn't get as much attention as that Friday employment report, but not only is productivity growth likely to remain quite weak and actually contract because GDP growth lagged behind the number of workers that were and jobs that were created. So by definition, productivity growth goes down. And then part of that, what you see is that unit labor costs are going to rise in a pretty significant way. Unit labor costs look like they're going to be up over 5% on a quarter to quarter annualized basis. That's up from 3.2 in the prior quarter. So what that means is companies are still facing higher input costs, but it's more on the labor side than the product side. And that also can pinch profit margins. Now, up until this point, the equity market's been pretty resilient. Although today, when I looked right before we hopped on the podcast, it, it had taken quite a bit of a hit, maybe disappointed that the Fed chairman and FOMC did not signal explicitly that there will be no more rate increases. But nevertheless, is unit labor costs important to watch? And I would say next week, we'll get the Senior Loan Officer Opinion Survey, which is nicknamed Sluice, not the best nickname out there. Um, but that's coming out on uh, Monday, May 8th. The Fed Reserve had basically had that report in hand uh, at the meeting this week. Chairman Powell gave some insights and said that Bank lending standards were tightening before and they're going to continue to tighten. But that's going to be a big report to watch, particularly. And also, 
Chairman Powell, rightly so, I believe, also put the emphasis on watching bank loan data. So that's something we get on a weekly basis. It comes out on Friday. It's it's released by the Federal Reserve. And also consumer credit, which, again, is somewhat of a sleeper report, doesn't usually get a lot of respect. But that consumer credit number actually will come out 3 o'clock on Friday. So after we're all exhausted by analyzing the payroll data, we'll, we'll wait around to 3 to look at consumer credit. But in all seriousness, that does matter because if we think that credit flows are contracting, it's how much, you know, because that's going to have a big impact for, for the economy. Ben, aside from employment and credit and everything that uh, Kathy's just talking about, what other indicators either leading or lagging will you be watching the weeks ahead? Yeah, I, I think inflation is still the biggie here when you when you look over the next six weeks that we have until the next time the Fed meets in mid-June. Um, the Fed will actually get to see, and we will get to see, two, uh, two in CPI prints ahead of that next meeting. So we'll, we'll get the readings for both April and for May for the CPI. And obviously, they're going to be looking for more cooling and particularly looking for more cooling on the services and the housing side of the equation. You know, when we look at the April CPI, we are expecting a higher print, but some of that's because gasoline prices were up over the month, and that's going to help to push up the overall CPI in April. So very closely watching those core numbers, you know, the super core, which is the core services, less the rents from housing, that's going to be very closely scrutinized. Um, we're going to be covering actually in the podcast next week, all the updates that we'll get from the April CPI. But I think both of those reports, yet again, one coming out next week, and then the one actually just ahead of the next FOMC meeting, um, or the 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 May CPI reading that will be very closely watched for a continuation of cooling of inflation, uh, and obviously, if those prints end up being hotter than we expect, that could maybe bring the discussion back towards are the Fed maybe going to raise rates again as we go towards June? So I think those are going to be very big swing factors, both for the markets as they look ahead for what the Fed is likely to do, and obviously the Fed officials themselves. But I will say more broadly, I'm still keeping a close eye on consumer trends. Um, we, we, we really had seen a cooling of spending activity over the past couple of months. Retail sales declined in February and March. We'll get the reading for April in a couple of weeks. Um, yet again, does that decline continue? Do we see a bit of a bounce back in activity? Uh, and as Kathy laid out, a lot of great numbers we're going to get from the labor market as well. You know, on June 2nd, we'll get the the report for May jobs, and then obviously we're going to get those weekly updates on initial jobless claims. You know, do we still see a further negative shift in hiring, or you know, what does that mean for incomes, or do we see maybe a bit of a pop again? Does that again shift the equation as the Fed looks over the the numbers that they're going to get over the next six weeks? You know, I'm with Kathy. I still agree that we expect them, and most people are expecting the Fed to pause their tightening cycle in June. And I think that's very much the, the baseline that we're looking at. But obviously, they've emphasized the data dependency. And in the current volatile environment, about a month is about a lifetime for policymakers. And it increasing the importance of keeping track of the incoming data, keeping track of the trends, and obviously making policy adjustments as necessary as we look over the next six weeks. Let's also talk about our outlook for the economy and the odds of a recession later this year. If you want to hear more about that, Kathy and Ben talked about this last week in their podcast on the Q1 GDP data. If you haven't heard that one yet, I encourage you to go back and listen to that one. Kathy, based on what you heard today from the FOMC, 
as they raised rates again, potentially keeping them higher for longer. Did anything change in your outlook? And if so, what changed? And then can you also comment on the lingering concerns for the banking sector? Yeah, thanks, Brian. Well, I couldn't help but think about Ben's comment that, you know, a month seems a lifetime. I hope we all don't continue to age at that pace, but um, it does feel that way. And <laughs> I would say that, you know, it, it, it also ties into this idea of, of, of the recession watch, right? So we've all been on recession watch for a really long period of time. It's the longest I can remember um, as, as an economist. But yet, it's still there and and nothing from the the fed announcement or the press conference really you know changes my view that you know we are you know headed for a recession now we think it's moderate as we said but it, it, because consumer and, and and business balance sheets are still in pretty good shape but as you said earlier we've gone from 0 to 5% on the policy rate in 14 months that's very accelerated uh, rate increases. We've had some cracks in the banking system, but there's, there's got to be more to come. Commercial real estate is is under pressure. That's going to affect banks. Um, but also just the fact that they're going to hold, well, at least their intention is to hold the rates at this restrictive level, even as economic conditions ease. That's not something we have seen um, in, in a very long period of time. So that just sets a very different backdrop. You know, the Fed's not going to come to the rescue this time because inflation won't allow them to cut rates. So right now we, we see a moderate recession. Maybe I'll let Ben comment a bit more on the banking system and the stresses there, but I think it adds further downside risk to our outlook. The last thing I would say, though, is that notwithstanding the decline in the equity market today, overall, equity market's been really resilient. And we shouldn't lose sight that that's also a leading indicator. So it's somewhat puzzling that it's held up so well, and yet the bond market's been uh, signaling recession for a long period of time. So it's just it's something for us further to, to kind of digest and, and think about. Thank you, Kathy. Ben, back to you. Any more comments on the lingering concerns for the banking sector? Some interesting updates from Chair Powell today on the banking sector, obviously emphasizing that the Fed feels that the banking sector is still sound and solid shape and that much of the concern that we've seen has been more idiosyncratic in particular to the particular banks that have struggled rather than anything systemic. Uh, you know, Chair Powell was very quick to emphasize that the banks that have failed, those the positive kept their 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 money and that they've found ways to distribute those assets, whether it's selling it to other banks or the Fed providing a bit of a backstop there. And, and so because of that, you haven't seen any really widespread impact of those. And, and those issues were resolved relatively quickly. And I think that does speak to the fact that the banking sector is still sound and that we are still seeing pretty good amount of stability within the banking sector. But obviously, each rate increase adds a little bit more stress. And I think, as Kathy, you laid out, we're going to be looking very closely at the uh, senior loan officer opinion survey data that comes out next week as far as what does that mean from a tightening standpoint. You know, Chair Powell basically hinted that it shows us that there's going to be much tighter credit conditions. And that's really our main downside risk uh, for the economy and really making what could be a mild to moderate downturn maybe a little bit worse if we see a further tightening of lending standards much faster, much quicker than we expect. You know, the other side of the coin here is that Chair Powell did mention that 
the tightening of the lending standards done by banks is doing part of the job for the Fed. And, and because of that, it further lends itself towards likely a pause in policy rates over the rest of the year because you know they're not having to go quite as high because the banks are doing much of the tightening of the credit conditions for them rather than having to do that through monetary policy they're doing it obviously on the banking side of things in response to the stresses that we've seen so yet again just reiterates our main opinion that we don't see the fed raising rates again from here um, but given the high inflationary environment that we're likely to see over the rest of the year not expecting them to start to pull back on these rates and start to see rate decreases probably not until 2024. Well, thank you, Ben. And Kathy, thank you, too. This has been a great discussion on today's FOMC announcement. And thank you for providing an update on your economic outlook. As Ben mentioned earlier, our next podcast will provide our analysis of the employment report and consumer activity. Make sure you subscribe to get notified as soon as each new episode is released. Until next time, for Nationwide Market Insights, this is Brian Kirk. The information provided by Nationwide Economics is general in nature and not intended as investment or economic advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any security or adopt any investment strategy. Additionally, it does not take into account any specific investment objectives, tax, or financial condition or particular needs of any specific person. The economic and market forecasts reflect our opinion as of the date of this report and are subject to change without notice. These forecasts show a broad range of possible outcomes. Because they are subject to high levels of uncertainty, they will not reflect actual performance. We obtain certain information from sources deemed reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or fairness. Nationwide and the Nationwide Inn and Eagle are service marks of the Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company. Copyright 2023. Nationwide.